Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest came up with a teaching tool. He's a founder, a father, a podcaster, and a speaker. Overall, he says he's about your success, but he's going to take the opportunity today to let you get to know him a little bit better. He's the CEO and founder of a company called Dub. Dub helps people in sales, marketing, and beyond improve their communication with the power of video. Ruben Dua, welcome. I can tell you're a professional just by the fact that you're like, is my lighting okay? How's my mic? <laughs> right? Well, actually, the, the funny thing here is that from six in the morning, well, actually from six to seven or six to seven thirty, I'm like a yogi. And then from, cause I do all my yoga stuff. And then from seven thirty to nine, or 10, I'm, I'm a developer usually, and I'm working with the development team. And then from 11 on, then I become a different person and I go to my office and, you know, I'm like more of an extrovert, but I'm basically an introvert until about 11 a.m. I'm grateful for you for doing this earlier because now I get to come out of my shell. Okay. So at 11, do you become a servant leader and tell me what servant leadership looks like? Well, it was a very difficult realization for me to understand that if you want to help yourself, you have to help others. It took me forever to understand that, to really, really comprehend that at a very visceral level, that if you want to help yourself, you have to help others. You know, a lot of people go through their lives saying, how can I serve myself? How can I gain health, wealth, and happiness. And the second that you realize that if you start to manage your efforts and channel your energy and to invest into other people, all of a sudden you get this compounded effect. It's like, it's like a bank account. Like imagine logging in to your bank account and seeing your interest rate at like 150% annually, (laughs) consistently FDIC insured. And that's what giving is. That's a hard realization. And I'm still learning it to this day. Um, I have to remind myself constantly, be outward, be external, help people. Don't be locked in yourself. It's a great process. You know, I would say the only time that I feel like I'm truly internal is when I'm in my meditation or playing music or doing my yoga. But then again, that's just sort of, you know, Oprah Winfrey calls it filling up the tank. You know, you got to have some fuel for your energy source that you can eventually put it out there. So anyways, that's, that's my take on that. So speaking of music, give me a little bit about how music has been an influence in your life. What a great question. Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, you look at music and music is, it's a lot of things, you know, it's, it's math. Music is math. Music is about learning rules and then breaking rules. Music is about practice. It's about repetition, you know, The best musicians on the planet, when you see them on stage, it looks so glamorous. It's amazing. Wow, they're so flowy and gooey. And they were born with such amazing talent. 
boy, I wish I had that talent. That's funny. That's funny to me when I hear people say that because I know really great musicians. Just the other day, I was talking to the guitarist, Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist. We know each other through our martial arts place. And how much has Zach Wilde practiced the guitar to become a guitar god? How many hours has he put in since he was, you know, eight years old? You know, repetition, people forget about that. People think that there's something that we're born with, this, this talent, you know, repetition, repetition, repetition. So I can't say enough about music. I mean, you know, what's amazing about music is that when you learn these chords, like if you're playing like a G, a G scale, that's a scale. That's the beginning of a scale. And if I learn that scale, I can actually play a really nice scale that everyone knows how to play. It's a G scale, right? Let's see if I can do it from the bottom up. So this is just a, a G scale and I've got a narrative here and this guitar is not fully in tune. You know, and so I can learn that scale. I can learn my, my major scales. I can learn my minor scales. I can learn my mixolydians, my lydians. I can learn all my skills. Now, here's the unlock and how we apply the understanding of music to real life. Once I learn the framework, then I can apply that and create my own music. Like if you listen to a guitar solo, like it's always funny to me when I see someone watching a, an amazing guitarist do an awesome guitar solo. That's just a scale. It's just a scale that they've learned or a combination of multiple scales combined with self-expression and taking risks and doing interesting things. You can reverse engineer that and you can go back to them going doing that a million times and then doing it slightly different and then eventually coming up with their own scale. But in life, in real life, whether it's creating a software platform like Dub or whether it's managing a family or having a consulting business or having a podcast, you know, there's frameworks that we need to learn, that we need to go invest in. You know, it's amazing what's on YouTube. Like I recently got a premium subscription to YouTube. It's changed my life. I canceled Netflix. I canceled HBO. There was one other that I have. I just let those go. I wasn't, I didn't really, they didn't really ultimately do a lot for me. And I just started watching stuff on YouTube. I started watching stuff on how to grow a SaaS company, how to make a billion dollar SaaS company. I, I started watching videos on music theory. I started watching videos on you know leadership, communication, how to have a better podcast, how to express myself. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, there's so much information out there. If we learn these scales of life and then learn how to apply those scales and then create our own scales, it's the most massive unlock on the planet. So that's my bit on music. I could talk about music for forever. So yeah. At what age did music become a part of your life? Knowingly or unknowingly? That's a great question. I, I yeah, I always like to ask people too, like, when did you know mm. that you were an artist? Yeah. You know, there's this thing called percussive maintenance. When something is broken, you know, let's take an iPhone that, and it's not working. I'm going to hit it, right? Like, hey, what's what's wrong with the camera? It's not working. You know, we call that percussive maintenance. You know, it's interesting because I started hitting things at a very young age and I didn't know what I was doing. I would clap like that. I would hit objects around me. And I realized that I was a drummer. <laughs> and the reason why I think I figured it out is because I was grinding my teeth a lot. Uh, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters talks about this a lot. And it's this idea where you're listening to music and you start you start grinding your teeth. And the reason why you're grinding your teeth or you're tapping your teeth, I should say, is because there's a beat that you're listening to and you need to figure out a way to manifest that beat. And you don't want to look like a crazy person doing this. 
because you know people have that have that twitch i have that sometimes where i start to do this beat like when i go to concerts you know i start to do this i'm in the beat or i stomp my foot or something but the clamping of the teeth was a beat and to answer the question i think it must have been probably seven or eight years old where actually you know what's so interesting never had this opportunity that right there is my first instrument as a child like as a kid and my parents forced me to go see mr logan and he would teach us the suzuki method where i played on that guitar and this was mozart and it was minuet one minuet two minuet three you know that's minuet one it's a it's a beautiful song and i despised it back then you know i hated the idea that my parents were you know forcing me to go play music and play on this clunky instrument and this classical music i couldn't stand it i was like i want to do something else i didn't really understand what it was i didn't uh, you know, I listen to rock and roll music. I listened to Cure and Led Zeppelin and, you know, Radiohead and, st and stuff like that. But I didn't know that I could actually go and play that stuff and actually convince my parents that that's the stuff that I want to play. But what a blessing to have gone through that experience to actually learn classical music. If you listen to Sting talk, Sting says, he's like, listen, guys, I have a teacher. And this teacher has taught me almost everything I know in music. And that teacher's name is Bach. J.S. Bach, you know, one of the amazing classical composers. You know, it's, it goes back to standing on the shoulders of giants to learn from the greats, to actually invest the time into, into learning what classical music is, into learning what scales are, into learning, you know, the technology behind a podcast, which you've done so well and had perfected it, to learning how to, how to garden in the backyard like what the gardener's doing right now. Thank, thankfully, I have a very you know, cardioid microphone here. <laughs> you know, but classical music was, was an amazing catalyst. And I did that for four or five or six years. And then I bought a book on how to play the drums. I don't know why this happened to me. This was probably because I bit a lot more that I could chew and swallow. But I decided to buy a book on how to play every song, every hit song from Rush, the band wow. Rush. Yeah. And Neil Peart is one of the greatest drummers ever to live. He passed away many years ago, but he's one of the greatest, most technical drummer ever to live on the planet. He's crazy. His drum set is probably the size of this room that I'm in right now. It's a, he's a very technical drummer. And I somehow chose to make that one of my first drumming percussive experiences. And eventually I, of course, had to get a teacher. And then I was addicted. You know, I, I had a bunk bed and there wasn't enough room to put my drum set in the room. So I put it on top of the bunk bed a lean kit and, and then all of a sudden I had a drum kit in my room that I could play every single day so yeah it was a journey you know sometimes we're forced to be put in something you know sometimes our parents push us into something and while we're doing it we can't stand it but then all of a sudden we realize many years later many decades later sometimes wow thank you mom and dad for forcing me to go to Mr. Logan and to learn the Suzuki method because I love classical music and it's changed my life yeah. Did they force you to do any other extracurriculars that you didn't stay with? Those two trophies right there are from basketball and baseball. So my parents said, like any good parents would do, they said, well, you have to play sports. <laughs> and that was a funny experience because I didn't want to play sports when I was a kid. I was like, no. And I didn't, because I didn't practice, because I didn't learn the theory, because I didn't learn my scales of sports. And back then it was hard because we didn't have YouTube. So we can, we can watch 
you know, the professor play basketball and learn those fancy moves or Kobe or Michael Jordan, all the rest, all the greats. We couldn't watch that. Like you gotta just get it on TV. Right. So it's really hard to self learn, but they were like, you got to do this. And I was like, I'm not really into it. I tried, but I didn't connect to it, you know? And it wasn't until many, many, many years later where I was like, you know what? I love tennis and I love, I love basketball. Hey, mom and dad, thanks again for forcing me to go to some of those things. There's a little bit of a theme here, but I will say this. I think that there's a new philosophy, philosophy of parenting, which is don't force your kids to do stuff. This is a whole nother podcast that we could have. <laughs> should, should you force your kids to do stuff that they don't want to do? And I'm not saying like to do their chores and the dishes and put their shoes on before they get in the car. That's my, that's my kids thing. I'm talking about going to Mr. Logan to play Suzuki method when you at one when they don't want to. That's up for debate. So I don't force my kids just for the record. I don't either, actually. And I was forced to go to activities too. I really want my kids to, like you said, connect with the activities that they participate in. Yeah. Especially when you're paying good money to take them to the lessons. I mean, my parents (laughs) took me to so many lessons that ended up being like therapy sessions versus me actually like learning the piano. Right. You know, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of kids, because we have a device that we can, it's it's so fun to just be on the device and just to, my, my kid's learning about Pokemon now, very recent thing. And it's amazing. In two weeks, he's become an expert on it. He knows how to find fake cards. He knows the most valuable ones. You know, he knows the, some of the scams that are online. Like he's just researched it. It's amazing. I was like, wow, how do you know all this in just like two or three weeks? It's amazing. And of course, the answer is YouTube. And, you know, friends at school, but it's mostly YouTube, you know, and, and that's, that's a gift. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the era that we are in right now, the era of technology, the era of information, the era of anyone totally empowered to grab a video, to grab a little, a little clamp like this, to put a phone in it, which we all have, and then to click record. That's the name of my book. I wrote a book on it you know, on Amazon and it's empowering and it's empowering from the viewers, which are the 99.9 percenters seen as 0.1% creators and 99.9%, you know, consumers or viewers, you know, they all can benefit from this. So I think what I'm presenting here is this idea of, you know, it's very easy for kids and for us as adults, because, you know, we're kind of kids in our own way to just curl up with a blankie and just watch YouTube videos instead of, instead of creating, instead of building stuff. You know, and there's and there's time and space for that, but we have to remember to to go get out there, whether it's our kids and whether it's you know us telling our kids or whether it's for ourselves. That action, execution, you know, creation, those are I think those are cool too. I love YouTube, but you know, let's create. Yeah, alongside that, talk about how it is important to teach your kids to lean into their gifts, and if you have gifts you said to me, it's kind of like your responsibility to pass those on to your kids. Yeah. I love this question. And I, and I'm so curious to learn about you and your relationship with your father as, as a young and what was that like? You know, a lot of your wisdom definitely comes from your father. And, you know, you mentioned in our earlier conversations that, you know, your father was connected to many of the same things that you were connected to with voice and radio and entertainment and personality and, and, and storytelling, really, you know, because that that's really what we're doing at the end of the day. We're, we're telling stories, you know, Mozart was telling stories with his music, you know, you on your podcast, Better Call Daddy, that's a story. It's a story that you're sharing. It's a series of stories, you know. So when I think about how we can 
you know, find our calling and, and, and really find our purpose, which I think is, it's the key to happiness. It's finding our purpose, you know, giving to others to go back to the, the introduction. I think of a lot of it as experimentation. I think a lot of it is failure. You know, great guitarists sometimes have longer fingers. You know, if you look at a great guitarist, like Steve Vai, you know, that guy's got like, it's crazy. He's got like gorilla fingers. You know, he can go on seven strings. Most guitars are six. This is a string, six string guitar, like regular guitars. He has a seven string guitar and he can expand the reach of his fingers. It's crazy. Like Ingve Malmsteen, same way, you know, Zach Wild, another God great from Ozzy Osbourne. You know, these guys have special characteristics in their body. Also, they persevere, they practice, they repeat. So what an alignment to say, wow, I have a voice. People have said to me, you have a voice like you should be, hey, Rena, you have a great voice. You should be on radio or something. You should do something with your voice. You should be a voiceover artist. And then you're like, I don't want to be on radio. I don't want to be a voiceover artist, but I want to be a top podcaster. Boom. Like you found, you made a connection there. I have a voice. I love telling stories. I love meeting people and interviewing people. And I love learning and teaching. And then boom, we got a podcast. So it's like taking these elements of what are your God-given gifts? And then what are your interests? And then what's around you? You know, what is around you? Like when I look at what's around me, I say, how can I sort of start to connect these dots? Bruce, I always talk about this. Bruce Lee has this philosophy, which is in martial arts, you take your closest tool and then you apply it to the closest target, right? So my tool right now is, is this right here. And my target is this environment, this connection. It's this and then YouTube and then, you know, Spotify. And that's an easy connection, right? It, it's flowy, you know, in Taoism, we call it Wu Wei, it's effortless action. So I think there's that alignment of saying, what do I have? What do I enjoy? What do I want to do? And then how can I repeat this and make this my, my thing, my purpose, you know, because no one ever did great at something when they started jumping from thing one to thing two to thing three, and then so on and so forth. It was about doing a couple of things really well, you know, going vertical, not going horizontal. And how have you done that with Dub? You had this idea, you had this spark, you're a developer, you have a great voice, you're into content creation. That seems very aligned. Yeah. How do you take this spark and scale it? You know, for me, it comes down to to this this idea. And then just to give just to shed some color on this and to give some context, Dub is a video sales system. It's a software as a surface SaaS company. And what we allow to do is we allow people, mostly in sales, marketing, business development, to create a video, to send that video to someone, to create a connection. It's an instantly built landing page with calls to action, calendar integrations, and it just facilitates the whole connection process. It drives revenue, frankly. So the thing that I was really trying to solve was my own personal struggle, which was this idea where, you know, I wanted to connect with people. I wanted to get hired by people. I wanted to hire people. I wanted to interview people. I wanted to meet people. I wanted to make connections. I, I'm an introvert pretending like I'm an extrovert a lot of the times. If I'm in my den, if I'm in my laboratory, you know, building technology, because I spent a lot of my time doing that. You know, I don't have the time. I haven't invested in my network. You know, I'm just a, a person in a cocoon. So for me to jump out of that cocoon and to connect with someone, it takes a lot of effort. You know, people that are extroverts and people that are leaders and people that have 
built influence, you know, you can tell you go to their LinkedIn account, they've got followers, they've got a network, they've got a tribe, a community. You know, I, I wasn't like that before, you know, I was again in my laboratory with stains on my lab coat and I wanted, and I said, something's, something's not right. I don't need to be able to go to these network of networking events, you know, be this extrovert, start interviewing people and, and spend less time in, in my lab. I should be able to be in my spot, create a connection, create a, some content, create some story, send that to someone. And then build some sort of a connection, you know, at least build some curiosity. And that was the earliest, earliest origin story of Dub, where I could grab my phone, I could grab my webcam, I could grab my screen, I could record a video, I could send it to someone over email, SMS, LinkedIn, broadcast it to a group. And then that person sees it in their own space on their own time, sees me, looks into my eyes, understands what I'm saying, hopefully sees value in me, sees authenticity, sees some sort of a mutual benefit, and then wants to click on one of those buttons on that landing page, book a time in my calendar, click on a link, learn more about whatever I'm doing. And I did that experiment. You know, initially I sort of built some, some early, early technology with some glue and some spit and some duct tape and, you know, Google drive and YouTube and some widgets. And all of a sudden I started to do this test where if we sent a video across, but that was like, it was almost like, it was almost like real life. It was almost like I now am in this person's office, you know, welcomed, you know, opted in, like the door has been opened for me. You know, they've clicked that play button. That's a choice that they made. That's opening the door. And, and it was powerful for me. And I realized, I said, wow, I said, this is the future. I said, the future is not going to be this inefficient thing where we have to get in the cars, we have to go meet with people. We have to spend the time building our networks up and do these things. Or I, I, I might call beneficial, but I also might call somewhat inefficient. And I think, you know, in 2020 to 2022, 2021, you know, in the pandemic, we, we realized that this, this was the new world. You know, now we can communicate synchronously like what we're doing in a Zoom call. Or asynchronously, which is pre-recorded content, you know, and that could be using Dub, it could be using YouTube. And then other people can then consume that content after the fact. So this idea of creating a story, placing it in a video, putting it in an environment where someone else can consume it, and then creating that connection that ultimately leads to a conversion of some sort is the premise behind Dub. And the earliest technology was built in direct alignment with a sales team, a large sales team at an Inc. 5000 company. And they started to use it. They started to get responses. And one day closes, which doesn't really happen a lot of the time when you're when you're working on four to five digit deals. You know, seeing one day closes take place for a salesperson, it's like poof. It's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, this is why I do what I do. It's exciting, you know. It's this adrenaline rush. So yeah, used up to get one day closes. <laughs> That's amazing. And then from there, what have you discovered? Who's using it best? Mm. Like, tell me some of that. You know, there's this idea of people talk about authentic video. How do we create authentic? How do we be authentic in video? If you could Google that, there's a hundred thousand podcasts and blog posts, how to be authentic, right? And everyone's got their take on it, which is amazing. It's great. That's an awesome thing to bring into the zeitgeist, right? I'm reminded of that video of that, of that guy on the news where he was being interviewed on the news and then his kid runs in the room and then the kid starts to do funny things and he's all embarrassed and he's like hiding the kid. And then the wife grabs the kid and runs out. It's like a terrible agonizing moment. And I, and I really feel empathy and sympathy for that. 
for that guy. I don't remember his name, but it's all over YouTube. But, you know, I feel sympathy for that guy because that was a different era. Think about that. That was a different time, you know, and I really hope everyone that's listening to this is not suffering from that. There's, in my opinion, now there's no reason ever to feel embarrassed when a kid comes into your, into your frame. I, I cannot think of one, one reason, even if you're in a funeral, even if you're being interviewed, even if you, you know, have to, I don't know, just whatever the most difficult thing that you can do on a zoom call, you know, we should never feel like that. And if people are still suffering from that, I, I want to just share some empathy, share some compassion and just remind you that like, that's, that's a beautiful thing, you know, and, and, a, and a kid is just, it's, that's one metaphor. It, it could be a dog. It could be, you know, stuff. It doesn't matter. You know, we are in an era of authenticity now where our life, our real life and what you see, what you don't see behind that camera. That's also part of my real life. Yeah. I mean, how beautiful that that's something yeah. that very much inspires you. And you yeah. can see that from every interview that you do. Yeah. You know, there's this thing that we do sometimes which is really, it's really bad for us, which we, we hit this forehead on that brick wall. We just keep hitting it. We're like, ah, why can't I figure this out? You know, what's wrong? What I, I need to figure out this equation. I need to solve this problem, you know? And I think what's so interesting about this is that you can't solve problems when you're in the problem, when you're in, you're the nucleus of the problem. You can't solve the problem. That's not how it works. You know, the founding father of nanotechnology, nano is the, the study of the smallest obstacles, the smallest possible particles ever. He, his book, his best-selling book is called Radical Abundance. Think about that. The founding father of nanotechnology, which is the smallest possible particles, also wrote a book on radical abundance, which means everyone on planet Earth now has an abundance of food and, and shelter and resources. The way that you get that, the way that you solve these problems is not to be inside the nucleus. It's to go play the drums. It's to pick up the guitar. It's to shoot hoops. It's to, you know, watch the arts. It's to read poetry. Uh, it's to gain perspective, to go for a walk in the woods, touch a tree, just like give a tree a hug and just breathe. Put some oxygen in your nose. Let your amygdala take a break go to your limbic system activate that you know get your neurons firing feel your gratitude feel your perspective and exhale and in that moment we can solve our problems it's perspective you know and the metaphor of hitting our head against that wall is just not getting distance it's just trying to to solve the problem from the inside out as opposed to the outside in have your parents shifted their perspective at all in their older years? No. <laughs> Have you tried to ever influence them to do that? Because I feel like you're big into personal development. Yeah, I kid when I say that. My parents, they've evolved and they've they've done such a good job. <laughs> they've done such a good job. But I thought it was fun. I thought it'd be funny to just say no and then just gain, be quiet. It's a generational thing. Yeah. You know? We're such a different generation right now. Yeah. It's un it's unbelievable. I mean, I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. You know, people, there was an elderly man once. It was at some place, I don't remember where. And he was being a jerk. He was being mean to the barista. I don't remember who it was, but he was being mean, right? Old guy, like a curmudgeon, right? He was being really obnoxious and rude and stuff. And, you know, something went wrong. I don't recall what it was. Maybe his coffee was made improperly. And I was just upset and angry. I was like, what's wrong with this guy? Judgmental, like, get out of here. What's wrong with you? Like, good vibes only, you know, that shirt. 
someone I remember took him aside and said, I said, Hey man, you know, it's, it's a different time. You know, when you're frustrated, you don't really do that to people. Like just express yourself, communicate and just say, say what the problem is. Don't like get sort of consumed in your anger and judgment and stuff like this. And I noticed the look on this guy's face and it was like basically someone teaching him that like we took you know, astronauts, put them on a spaceship and send them to the moon. And that was a real thing that happened. And all of a sudden the guy's like, really that happened? Wow. I never knew that. No one ever told me that we went to the moon, you know? And it was like this look in this phase and he wasn't able to, you know, sort of work it out, reset and recalibrate and say, Hey, there's too much milk in my coffee. He just kind of, you know, left, you know, it's interesting because I think that because now we're consuming more content, you know, we see it on TikTok, we see it on Instagram, we see it on YouTube where people talk about personal development. Mel Gibbons, am I saying her name wrong? No. Anyways, she has the five seconds. Mel Robbins, thank you. Mel Robbins has the five second rule. She wrote a book on it. You know, if you can't read the book, read the book. But if you can't read it, at least watch her, her keynote speech on this. She's done many on that. Breathe. What happens when you breathe, it's not just like this esoteric abstract thing, you know, that yogis do, which is just breathing. It's not that. It's, it's very biological. You know, our amygdala responds very fast. You know, because when a tiger is jumping out at us, we need to be able to protect ourselves and gain coverage or, you know, reverse attack. That's not how our logic center works. That's not how our limbic center works at all. You know, our limbic system takes time. It requires five seconds at a bare minimum, you know? So I think that, you know, what we're all learning here, thanks to YouTube, thanks to these personalities that have decided to, you know, it's the give, get, they give us this information and they get followers, they get influence, they get people to buy their books, and to go, you know, hire their companies and hire them, you know, that's the give get like that give get didn't exist 20 years ago. That, that didn't, I mean, of course, there was books, there's books on tape, but it wasn't a give get there was there was was there free content back then? I think not. I mean, unless you count infomercials, which maybe is that's free content, you know, interviews, documentaries, but it was small, it was tiny. So we're very fortunate to be in this era. And, and as a result, we can evolve. But with that comes being lazy and being curled up into a ball on the sofa with our iPad watching Netflix with a blankie on. And that really wasn't a thing back then. You couldn't do that back then. You couldn't curl into a ball. TV was on for an hour or two. Now it could be on for six hours. If you want to take a temperature check on yourself, go to your iPhone or your Android, go to the Screen Time app and look at an analysis of how much time you're spending on your device, how much time you're spending on each app, and then look at that for you know daily, weekly, monthly, annual uh, average. Is it going up? Is it going down? What are you doing? Where are you at? Where are you spending your time? So to answer the question, you know, I think our from our parents' generation and from us as kids back then, we had less stuff, less information, which was joyful and awesome. And as a result, we were a little bit smaller. Like we we our perspective was a little bit smaller. Now we have access to everything. Perspective is huge but also a lot of distractions. So balance is the key. Who do you want to be as a parent? Like what legacy do you want to leave? I restarted my YouTube channel and I was that guy that would start the YouTube channel, do a video. And then I'd be like, oh gosh, I don't like this content. I don't want to do this. I don't feel authentic. It's not right. It's This is all going to be outdated information in a year. What's the point? Why am I even doing this? It's so hard to build a YouTube channel. It's, it's one of the most difficult things, you know? I, I recently, very recently actually, found my reason for restarting my YouTube channel, which is shameless plug, youtube.com forward slash Ruben But it's for my kids. It's for my kids, you know? It's for when I'm long gone, 
that they can watch these videos. So timelessness was a massive part of the catalyst for this YouTube channel. You know, I'm talking about things like gratitude, like mindfulness, like nowism, which is a term that I like to use, you know, from the great book, The Power of Now. It's a, it's a great text on that. This comes from Buddhism. Leaving a legacy is, is a really important part for me as a parent, leaving a legacy for my kids. You know, another thing is teaching them how to survive. One of the things that I do enjoy watching every once in a while on Netflix is Man versus Wild or just Bear Grylls. I don't know if you've seen that, but you know, he's a survivor. He's an amazing survivor and he's an, an entertainer. And I think people need to remember that he's an entertainer. And if he stays in a hotel when he's, you know, surviving in the in the Amazon forest, you know, with all sorts of things that want to eat him, that doesn't mean he's a he's a fake. That's a that's, <laughs> that's, that's a that's a funny thing, actually. You can Google that. A lot of people give him criticism. A survivor that goes and stays at hotels. But the reason why I'm saying this is because, you know, learning how to survive is step one. Learning how to thrive is step two. And then what's step three? It's got to rhyme with with those two words. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> survive, thrive, and we should figure that one out. Drive. Drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's interesting too is you're talking about your success on YouTube and maybe it's not really about the success, but just documenting your journey and kind of that timelessness that you can share with your kids. I mean, you have so much to offer. And what I've noticed actually in looking back at some of my older videos, and this was like before I started working on my craft, that authenticity that you're talking about is so much more there before you start working on your craft you're less perfected, you're less baked, you're, you're mm. really giving them who you are. So there is yeah. beauty in that, actually. Mm. I love that there are recordings of me from before I had my own show and when I was guesting on other people's show and when I was just booking people for other people's show. I mm. love that there's actually recordings of that. I also love that I was able to capture a video with my grandmother before her Alzheimer's took over. And it was mm. literally just using earbuds and Zoom. But mm. that is timeless. And her just sharing bits of her story that I'll never be able to share in the same way as she can. You know, yeah. we are in a generation where you literally can stick earbuds on your grandparents or your parents and you can ask them things that you never have. And you can record that and share that with your children mm. before they're not able to have those conversations anymore. So who are those people in your life that you would like to do that with? Who has made an impact on your life? Who have you impacted? Who should you be catching up with that you would like to have their knowledge shared? Yeah. Well, I'll start with a quote from a very influential person. My dad has been my guiding force my whole life. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And I want to share that with the world. <laughs> and that is a quote by none other than Rena Watts. Awesome quote. Appreciate that on your website. Thank you. Bettercalldaddy.com. You know, I, I share that sentiment. You know, my earliest memories with my father are him embarrassing me talking to other people and sharing stories and just like starting conversations with people like perfect strangers, you know, I would be embarrassed. You know, why do we have to talk to the cab driver? Like, why do we, why do we always have to start a conversation with them? Like, Hey, how's it going? How's your day going? How's the traffic? Like some starter, some, some icebreaker. Why do we need to do that? You know, there was a lot of this. And I realized as a kid, this wasn't like, I realized this as an adult. And I was like mortified my whole life. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that. I realized this really quickly what my dad was doing, but she was learning, you know, he was learning about people and he was learning about things. And he was, you know, also entertaining people, you know, 
someone might be bored in their life and they might actually want to have a conversation. I mean, that's what human beings want to do. We want to connect with other people. We want to share stories and converse. That goes back to, you know, being around the, uh, the fire and earliest storytelling days of humanity, you know, and you know, it's the same thing, right? So when you take that, that trait of asking questions and listening, because talking is about listening, right? That's a paradox, but it's so true. Then all of a sudden you gain this body of information, this knowledge that you have. And I think that's one of the most important traits of a good podcaster. It's how much world knowledge do you have? You know, how much life experience do you have? How much failure have you endured? How many conversations with strangers have you had to learn really, really random things? You know, you see those guys on late night shows that graduated from high school when they were 13. And then they just graduated from, you ever, you, you never seen that video of the guys like I'm graduating from high school and college next week. It's, it's brilliant. He's like, and I'm starting my own business. He's like, I have two businesses, actually. It's a great clip. I forgot his name. But you know, it's interesting. That guy's awesome. And he's super smart. And wow, amazed. But you know, it's interesting, because I, I hope people like that are also taking the time to get that real life experience to go ask a stranger how they're doing, you know, and to learn about really random things. Because when you learn about random things, you also learn how to think. And my father taught me that. And I'm grateful for that. I really am. And I and I teach that to my kid. And now my kid, he does this to me when when I start talking, but it's it's getting less. Before I used to get like bruises from the elbow bumps when he was embarrassed, but now it's just light taps. And eventually I think I think he'll he'll join in. Uh, he's already joining in on the conversation. Actually he is. So he's definitely going to that same evolution, you know, that that I did, which is asking strangers how they're doing. I really love that perspective of looking at it like, okay, my dad wants to talk to all these random people and he wants to learn from them. My dad was that same guy. Like I was <laughs> embarrassed of my dad talking to strangers and the mail yeah. guy and the Uber driver, but it actually took me longer to appreciate it. <laughs> I yeah. was kind of like, wow, my dad is like beat to his own drum my whole life and yeah. really doesn't care what people think, you know, like that is beautiful. <laughs> right. But I think looking at it like, wow, he wants to entertain. He wants to learn. He wants to connect with people. Like that's a really beautiful way of looking at it. And look, I just yeah. talked to these girls yesterday who were introduced to me by a former podcast guest. They have a braiding business. And I'm like, well, my daughter watches all these Instagrammers and TikTokers and, and YouTubers on different hairstyles. I'll have a conversation with them. They're in, you know, they're launching seven cities this year and they're celebrities in Buffalo and they launched Nashville. I'm sure I can learn something from them. I'm not that great of a braider. Like, so I had a conversation with them. And one thing I learned that I never would have thought of is that if you're going to do in-home businesses, that you really need to think about security of your workers. That was something I never would have thought mm. of. I'm like, they're just going to braid hair, but there's people that like want you to come into their basements. There's some people that mm. want to leave their kids with you and come back. You're like responsible for their children. There's people who wow. have dogs mm. that can mm. attack you. Like all of these like things that you wouldn't have thought about in just braiding hair for a bat mitzvah or a wedding or mm -hmm. a, a birthday party. I thought that that was really fascinating to hear about all of the uh, unexpectedness of going into people's homes. Mm. Like yeah. it can be beautiful to learn about other people and their upbringing and what their mm -hmm. house looks like, but 
there's also a lot of safety concerns for your workers and they've got 78 braiders, right? Yeah. What a fabulous mental exercise for everything that we do in our personal and professional lives. What if we did this exercise together? I have this, this, this blackboard here that I use a lot where I put my thoughts on it. At my office, I have a whole wall, a whiteboard wall. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. I always, this was like a childhood dream to have an entire wall be a white, whiteboard wall. <laughs> what if we did this exercise? What if we said, what's the worst that could happen? You know, what's the worst thing that could happen in this situation, personal and professional life, right? So you think about the braiders, you think about the braiders going on call to people's homes. It's a pit bull out front. There's a Doberman pincher. It's a chainsaw, you know, behind the front door. This is where I can get dark. You know, we can all get dark. That's where the, this is where the, the devil enters this is where fear enters. You know, what's really peaceful. It's to look fear directly, directly into the eye. Look at that Doberman pincher. Look at that chainsaw. Look at that gun. Look at that basement with the staircase with the door the lock all those deadbolts how many times have we seen that in a horror movie like look at that directly and then say like i i get fear just thinking about that like i i'm literally thinking like i'm a braider going to a stranger's home and having to go inside the house and then who knows what's behind that door it like brings me fear like i feel it like i'm almost getting the chills you know so on one hand number one is how do we going to do full circle is how do we help others to help ourselves? How do we help our staff to be more safe so that we can build a business? That's what we opened up with. But then number two is how can we educate? How can we go, go to YouTube? <laughs> how can we go and invest in ourselves? What books should we read? What courses should we take on self-defense? On self-defense. That's what we're talking about. It's self-defense. It's insurance. It's protocol. It's practices. You know, it's tools, it's pepper spray, stuff, you know, Work Some incident those, reports. <laughs> work incident reports. You know, 67 days since an incident. You know, remember that funny thing? Like there, there are manufacturing plants that have that. And it's the it's always, it's like a joke when I see that. It's really funny. Like it's been 267 days since someone lost a finger here at the hot dog factory. You know? <laughs> like that's so funny to me. It's like, it's like a reminder that we're safe, but it's also a reminder that 267 days ago, someone lost their finger. Now it's also a TikTok. Oh, I don't, I don't know what that is. No, I'm saying you could make TikTok videos about that. I was even telling them too, like some of the additional requests that they've had have been extremely, some of them inappropriate or outlandish, Mm. like guys wanting to have hair braided that's less than six inches or things like that, right? That has to be put into their bio or you have to let people know your boundaries up front about what you will do and what you won't do. <laughs> yeah. The reason why I can speak about this in a, in a visceral way with clarity is because I used to be like this. You know, isn't it funny how, you know, mindful people used to be mindless. Religious people used to be chaotic. You know, it's like there's this paradox that you continue to see. You know, that old saying, you know, the church is a place for sinners. That's probably rude to say that. There's some stand-up joke in there, you know, where when we are bad at something, it's like my martial arts instructor. You know, he's an eighth-degree black belt, two degrees from Bruce Lee, literally two degrees. His teacher was one of Bruce Lee's first, like, seven students. Sifu Jerry Petit is his name. My Sifu in Jeet Kune Do is Ed Mahanigan at Ekita. He used to be a raging alcoholic. He always talks about that. He's a, he was a raging alcoholic. 
you know, with the Camaro and electric guitar, you know, fights at the bars. And then all of a sudden he's like, okay, problem. I just, something terrible just happened to me. I got to solve this. And then now all of a sudden he finds martial arts, he finds mindfulness, meditation, you know, mind, body, spirit, peace. And now he's like, he's like the guy from, uh, he's like Shifu from Kung Fu Panda, you know, with the, the little mouse. That, that's like my martial arts instructor. He's a something, almost 60. You know, he's mindful. It's amazing. You know, he's gone through that process. And the reason why I'm saying this is because, you know, going back to that incident of hair braiders, looking at fear directly into the eye, the eye of the storm, and then making a plan based on that is the most important thing that we can do in our lives for us, our business, and our kids. It is. Because if it's going to go wrong, it's if, it, if there's a chance that it goes wrong, it's going to go wrong, right? Let's plan for that and then hope for the best. Wow, that was very cool. That was interesting. Thank you for sharing that story. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I have another question that kind of goes along with that story because they, they wanted to know for my dad, like if he could be a founder of any company, what would it be? And do you feel like you're living the dream? Like, do you feel like you have founded the company that that is where you would want to be? Or have you had doubts or fear that maybe you should be doing something else and been tempted to go in another direction? This is a really important question. And the first thing that I want to share is that one of the things that that goes through my mind when I receive a question like this is the first thing I do is I breathe. That's what I did. I took a breath. The second thing I do is, you know, I ask myself, is, is there a filter on my thoughts? Is there something in my mind that I don't want to share? You know, am I hiding something? Is there a secret? Am I scared of something? You know, and I, I, I sort of ask myself, like, am, do I feel confident or do I feel insecure with this question? You know, and the feelings that I experienced when you asked me that were, you know, feelings of cautious optimism, feelings of gratitude, specifically of a couple of things about the business, which I'll get into in a minute. And then this idea of what is it that I can do to improve some of the things that are not perfect, right? So that was like in a blink of an eye, those are the things that came to my mind. And I'll start with gratitude because, hey, it's good to start with gratitude, right? <laughs> you know, this idea of recurring revenue, it's this fruit, you know, that grows on this tree that tastes really good and it's sustainable. And those fruits keep growing and you water it, you care for it, you prune it. It's an annual tree. It's constantly growing. It's not like it only happens seasonally, you know, peaks and valleys, but for the most part, it's always producing this fruit. It's your life source. So the first thing I wanted to share is this idea of recurring revenue. I went through the, the difficult process of understanding what recurring revenue really meant for a good foundation of business, sustainability, both personally and professionally, and the ability to reinvest the system to take capital and to reinvest that capital in order to make the machine better for the next person and for the existing people. And then lastly, I might add is to make an experience so good so that you get a social coefficient so that your clients become your marketers. Like that whole thing is that fruit. And that process for me to learn was really challenging. And it, and it brings me some amount of joy to be able to articulate that and to share that with people. Because I know there's someone out there right now listening to this that is so frustrated that every time they want to acquire a customer, they have to go spend money on advertising, do sales calls, do demos, maybe meet with them, maybe not, go through the process, chase, 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 follow up. Hopefully they're using Dub. And to, to earn that client and then have that client 
three months later say, thank you for your services, or we're moving in a different direction, or we're bringing this in-house, or we ran out of a budget, or whatever the excuse is, right? And then that person has to go and start this process all over again. That customer acquisition process that does not turn into a significant lifetime value to justify the investment and to make the the economics of the business make sense, right? You hear that with consultants, you hear that with agencies, you hear that with guns for hire, people that sell products. You know, Adobe, I'm a huge fan of Adobe. Like I love Adobe, like Photoshop, I've got Photoshop, I've got XD, I've got Premiere and Media Encoder right on this computer and I use them religiously. Do you remember when Photoshop used to charge like 200 bucks or 300 bucks for their software and you yep. just got it? Yep. And and then there was the cracked versions. And and I never liked the cracked versions because there was After something wrong. After Effects too, yeah. After Effects, yeah. That one, that's an intimidating program, my goodness. That's one of those programs where it's like, uh, I don't know what to do here. And then you spend four months on YouTube and you're like, okay, why don't I just hire someone? This is insane. Shout out to Adobe After Effects users because that's a serious program. <laughs> But, you know, Adobe at some point, I don't know what the year was, but at some point they said, wait a minute, we're selling our software for 299 bucks or 399 bucks. People pay that. And then they, and then we never see them again. We never hear own it from forever. them. You yeah. own it forever. And you get all the updates and all the upgrades. And then there's this weird thing that happens where Photoshop 5.0 comes out and they're like, and then there's that boardroom where they're like, God, we spent, we reinvented the whole thing. Photoshop 5.0 is the next best thing. This stinks that we can't monetize this, that everyone that paid the money now automatically gets the install. And then someone guys, someone raises his hand or her hand and says, hey, why don't we just charge for it? And now all of a sudden you get consumers that are that are livid. Like, what are you talking about? You said it was lifetime. You said I gain access forever. And now Adobe doesn't have that money, that capital to go reinvest into Photoshop to make it one of the best applications on the internet. And then they realize, okay, let's go, let's go recurring revenue, you know? And now it's like $29 a month subscription model. Yeah. Subscription model, 29 bucks a month, all you can eat. Yep. Every program. There's no, I don't think there's anything outside of that. I could be wrong. Maybe there is, there's gotta be some enterprise things, but for the most part, the vast majority of their platform is in a subscription model, $30 per month per users, two devices, two devices. I don't know if they're okay with the fact that you can have two devices concurrently, different IPs, different countries. I don't know. I don't know if they're thinking that. I'm not sure. Like Netflix allows password sharing, you know, and they're going to change that soon. I think these people know that. The sweet fruit of recurring revenue. Let's think that. Let's think about that. Let's invest into our clients, not into acquiring new clients. Yeah. I always say the gold is in your inbox. If you yeah. would just nurture the relationships that you have, there are opportunities there. Yeah. Instead of mm. trying to collect people mm. and yeah. like constantly connecting like you're better off thinking about who have you had successes with in the past? Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, one of the most challenging things for a salesperson that sells something that anyone can buy, an entrepreneur, a fundraiser, or any type of creator artist that's looking to get something from their network, their community, there's a specific challenge, which is that, and you'll hear this statement, you'll hear this comment, I burned my network. You'll hear people say that, you know, people in MLM talk about this multi-level marketing, they burned their network, right? And what that means is they went to their friends and family and said, Hey, can you put a hundred bucks on my uh, Kickstarter campaign? 
can you buy, I sell solar and you need solar. Can you buy solar for, from me? And you call them a hundred times. Can you, you know, buy my record? Can you come see me at the show? Can you invest in my company? You know, friends, families, and fools they talk about, you know, and there's that burning of the network effect, which is people accessing their immediate network. So what I'd love to learn from you is how do we become better at accessing our existing network, being mindful and not burning our network? You know, I think burning your network truthfully comes from desperation. Ah, and yes. you cannot be desperate. Desperation shows. Mm, you can like, smell it. I can, and I don't like it. It's that and, rancid smell, yeah. Yeah, and so if you can be mindful, if you can take a breath, if you can take a pause, if you can think big picture, mm. think how you want to be treated, that goes a long way. Yeah, what's amazing about that is that it's, it goes back to this idea of problem solving problems from the outside in as opposed to the inside out. You know, when you're in it, when you're in the nucleus of the problem being to sell and to make money, you don't have perspective on what it, what the whole big picture looks like, specifically what it looks like to be that person on the other side, that Facebook friend, that neighbor, that uncle, that friend from high school and college. It, you don't see what that looks like when you're calling them and they're not responding to you, not emailing back, and you're just basically bothering them, sometimes borderline harassing them to buy your, your stuff. And when you all of a sudden just take a walk and you say, wow, what would it be like if I was that person on the other end and there was a different person that was doing that to me? What would that feel like? What would that look like? You know, how do you treat salespeople? What do you do when someone comes to your door and knocks on your door? What do you do when someone cold calls you? What do you do when some, a friend says, hey, I just started this thing. Once you put in 10 grand, like, how would you feel? How would you react? You know, and put yourself into that perspective. That's hard to do. That's really hard to do. It is really hard to do. And I've, look, I've talked to authors who have crowdfunded and raised $18,000. I talked to these braiders yesterday that want to launch in seven cities. And I think they're going for 1.5. They are dealing with investors. They even were talking about how past employees believe in their business and are contributing and their parents are contributing. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, like I've seen relationships go bad in the family over not choosing somebody as a realtor. Like, you know, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to that. And, there's a lot um, of layers to that. Yeah. yeah. The paradox here is you're starting a new thing. You don't have capital. You need to make money. You want to do what Bruce Lee talks about, which is to take the resources that you have close to you and find the closest available target and make that connection, which is your friends. Okay. You need to manage all of this. How do you how do you do that? It's it's gotta be one of the hardest, hardest things to do, which is frankly why so many people give up. You know, the other interesting thing is. When you, when you do take that money, you know, you do get the Kickstarter, you do get the check and then you fail. And now how do you manage it then? How do you manage the relationship? You know, you probably are wiped out after your failure, especially if it's a business, you don't have capital to pay back your debts for a while. If, if, if at all, how do you go be that, the Phoenix and rise from the ashes and become a beautiful bird again? <laughs> That's hard. You know, it's really hard to do, which is why it's really important, I think, to get that perspective, to look at the, remember about looking at the worst possible outcomes. You know, you're starting something new. What's the worst possible outcome? It's the guy from the bank coming to your house saying, sorry, you don't own this home anymore, nor do you own those cars. It's people in your personal life saying, I'm out because I can't deal with this. This is crazy. It's your health. You're obese. You're unhealthy. 
you're in the hospital for six days with heart issues and the doctor can't determine any, any source for that, it's stress. What's the worst possible outcome? And then let's, let's go think about those. Let's make sure that we're mindful. Let's think about other people's perspective. Let's not be desperate. Let's, you know, raise capital responsibly. Let's have a job and start our thing concurrently. That's a hard thing to do. And also like, let's be a good dad. And how are you acting in your everyday environment? And what does it really boil down to at the end of the day? Exactly. The sun coming through the clouds, seeing the ocean hit the beach, taking fresh breaths, letting the people know that you care about them that are important to you in their lives. Like, I think the pandemic has really taught us that too. Yeah. I remember when I was, when I was starting a long time ago in 2018 and I had a full-time job and then I was moonlighting and, and building technology and I wasn't around much. And I, I had a kid. My, my son is now almost nine years old. Next week, he'll be nine. So he was just a little boy. He was a toddler. You know, I wasn't around because I was just working and I was not, I was just working. I was not doing anything else. There was no exercise. There was no martial arts. There was no music. There was no tennis. There was literally nothing. I was unhealthy. Like I look and feel much healthier now than I do back then. You know, how, how can you be a good dad when you're not around, when you're just working basically two jobs? It's hard. It's really hard to do that. A lot of people suffer from that. And I, and I feel compassion for that because I know exactly what that feels like. But there's chapters. There's chapters in our lives, you know? You know, we can go through a chapter of two, two or three years of, of that sacrifice and still find a way to be, you know, a good parent as best as we possibly can because people are understanding. You know, people value getting ice cream, spending quality time. You know, you can you can have quality time in an hour versus six hours, you know, if you make it quality time, being present, turning off your devices and just really being there. But at some point, we have to live a life of more balance. That's the weeding process. You know, that's the we the the entrepreneur gods, the creator gods, the you want to do something different gods. They have this, they've set up this this thing and it weeds out, you know, 93% of people. And it's called sacrifice. It's called perseverance. It's called hard work. It's called giving up the things that you love. It's called canceling your Netflix subscription. It's called having two jobs. And, and, that, and that's a hard truth. What made you leave and go full-time on Dub? Potential opportunity. It was, it was a no-brainer. It was like, wow, okay, this, we're onto something here. This is amazing. But I make that sound glamorous. But before that, there was three other ideas and three other pivots over the course of so many years that led to that moment. Overnight success takes a year or 10. What would you like to ask my dad? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd like to ask him where he gets that amazing fedora from. That's what I'm going to start with, because you could just tell that the felt on that hat is extraordinary. The shape of it. How many stories are there? How many stories has that fedora heard? What has that fedora seen? That's what I'd like to know. And then secondly is what are his techniques to get such a perfectly shaved chin strap with a goatee. Because most people can just do the chin strap. He's got the best of both worlds. He's got a chin strap and also the, the, the full goatee. So those are my two questions. I love that. That's hysterical. You know, I have never seen my dad without a beard in my entire life. Wow. I've tried to talk him into it, but yeah. Right. And the really cute thing is too, his dad also wore the fedora and kind mm. of like, he was old school. He always wore a jacket, mm. always wore a button down, even to mm. go 
shopping. And mm-hmm. so I love that my dad still like has his look. Okay, final question. What is next on the horizon for Dub and for you? What's the dream? So there's this idea of, there's this problem that it's really difficult to type text and letters. It's challenging, you know? We take a lot of time writing our emails. We take a lot of time, you know, crafting messages on LinkedIn. And there's something really easy about video. You know, for some people, recording a video is a hundred times faster and easier and better than writing something down, you know, whether it's writing your manuscript or writing an email or, or anything really. So what if there was a world where we could help people to really make video the primary function of communication? where we actually don't have to write. I don't, I love writing. My handwriting's not great, but I love writing and I love typing. I don't have a problem with it. I can type really fast without looking at the keyboard, but video is a lot easier. You know, it's a lot easier for me, especially if I have clarity. You know, what if there's a world where we could shift from 80% typing, writing, 20% video? What if we could shift that to 80% video, 20% writing and typing? And what if we applied that to everything? What if we applied that to our emails or LinkedIn or the next time we want to want to write a book or anything, blog posts, anything that you have, you know, speak into a microphone, speak into a camera, and then you get two types of content, not one. You get video and then you also get a man of transcription that's going through an AI engine that puts it into something that's readable because, you know, we have filler words and, you know, we, we invented this technology, this patent pending technology called Kyra. Kyra is is amazing. And it's we called it Kyra because we wouldn't remember what the acronym stood for. Kyra stands for beloved in Italian. And that's why we like the name, but we did what good marketers do and we just jammed a bunch of tech words into the letters, you know? It stands for communication, artificial intelligence, reaction, assistant. Boom, got it. This is our effort to really revolutionize the way people are recording videos, you know, having that go into multiple streams of content. So that's the future. Better call daddy, bettercalldaddy.com. What a what a cool experience to to give your father that 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 gift of of legacy, of, you know, admiration, of appreciation of taking his wisdom and then channeling out to us and to your listeners and to your fans. You know, I have I have massive massive gratitude for that. So thank you so much. If people want to connect with me, check me out on on social channels, Ruben Dua, YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and uh, check out dub.com. In fact, Reno, what we should do is we should share your partner link in the in the notes and people should use your partner link to dub to sign up. I love that idea. Yeah. Thank you. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. What did you think of Ruben? He's giving you what and how to get wisdom and how to really have good perspective on things is by having a diverse amount of knowledge, having diverse interests, diverse experiences. And if you don't get it from learning yourself, you hope to be able to, as, as we've discussed before, where we can gain knowledge from the experiences of others. But look how if you can make a good presentation and make a video and explain things, be able to put a person's face behind the words or behind the story, how effective that can really be, and maybe even more effective than a book or a transcript of some sort where you actually feel the message and see the message. He could be right that YouTube videos that have come out, I told you, uh, Vic, I, a lot of people, if they're trying to fix something or learn something or try to really 
see if they're even interested in the subject matter. It's nice to see it where you can relate to it in reality or in real time rather than just leaving it up to your imagination. Yeah, videos are way more personable. Oh, I think I think it's fantastic. And not only that, but it'll make you a better speaker. It'll also make you prepare better. You, you have to really have an A game to be able to run an effective video, in my opinion. You got to have some game to be able to do it. But you ready to get on video? Do, oh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, that should be our next step, that we should go YouTube also or get on video and make personal presentations. I think they'll be very effective. So I agree with Ruben on that. What's interesting as well is that he also has a very unique relationship with his father, and he understood our show, the Better Call Daddy show, of the type of legacy that every family strives to have. And, you know, he, he's joking around talking about the beard and the, and the hat. But the fact is, is that, you know, my dad used to wear other hats. I used to wear other hats. And then we were shopping in the store and we saw these hats where we both felt comfortable with them. And isn't that really the truth? Um, was finding something that we both would like where we could share that legacy together of where we would wear the same type of hat. Isn't that really what it was all about at that time? Because even though I was my dad's right-hand man, one day I would have to wear his shoes or wear his hat. So we started looking alike near the end, I think is really a tribute to him or to my father. And just like this show, trying to add a couple of, of words of wisdom is really a very nice compliment and tribute to your father. And something else that really comes out of this show is how if your parents push you in one direction, sometimes you end up in a different direction. But those parents that try very hard to give their children an opportunity to have also that diversity and where learning anything has value. You try this, try that, try this, try that. And if they have some talent at it, or they really show that they uh, are really catching on to it, and to give them a little bit of a push to pursue it as far as it will take them or see how far it'll go, I think is a good thing. Your mom also, uh, to give her a little credit, took you guys to all of your activities, even more than me. But uh, that participation and doing activities in school is just as important as doing your work or learning your subjects. And sometimes you learn your subjects a little bit better when you have a clear head and you can take a step back and get a, an outside perspective. I, I really like that because sometimes you would ask me, how come you're playing games? How come you're doing this or you're, you're, you're walking around the block? Sometimes you just need a break from it and then come back and try to take another perspective or another look at it so you don't get frustrated with it and where you have a chance to catch your breath and try to look at it from another angle. And uh, that's why I also like to say that, you know, brainstorming with other people that care about you and are educated, also surrounding yourself with people that have even more knowledge in certain areas is how you learn. And where when you respect someone else's opinion or experience or their educational deliverance to you, you're going to sometimes learn more from that than any other way. But what about the responsibility of the parent to teach the child the strengths that they have. As you know, we both don't like hypocrisy. You've got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And if your parents have to be setting the right example at all times, because it's so easy to pick up the wrong message. It's so easy to take the easy way out. You have what's going on today. You were talking about the pandemic, about communication and being locked down. And yet 
He also made a terrible tragedy by giving out free money and doubling pay without really taking a look at the consequences. When you take away the incentive of struggling and working hard and earning your keep, guess what? Then people don't want to work. Then they don't want to really put out their best. They don't really want to strive because they've got a safety net to catch them. They, they, they lose some of their purpose, which was also brought out in your episode tonight. You're talking about people have to really work hard. They really want to accomplish something. And you don't just get good at something by saying you just have natural ability. And even if you do have natural ability, aren't you really required to work harder at it, to show a better example, to actually try to amplify those abilities? So that you can be a cut above the rest and those that have the potential to really succeed and they don't succeed, doesn't that make them even greater failures? Can you really be a greater failure? <laughs> That's like being a zero and can you be more than a zero? It's a good point. It just makes you a zero. And you're right. A hundred times zero is still zero. And if you do it 50 times times zero, I think you still get the same number. So it's not really necessarily anything that, but the conclusion that you wasted your talents. And whether you did it 50 times or 100 times, you still end up with the same score, zero. Let's strive for better. We have to strive for better. And those people that have the go for it, you know, as I told you as a little girl, you have to go for that brass ring when you're on that merry-go-round of life. Those that reach for the stars, those that really go for it, they have a chance. And when you have a passion and when you have abilities and you develop them, and you have the diversity to be open-minded to learning the whole job and learning everything that you can, you then gain the wisdom points that we all would really love to achieve with our lives. The only sad part of this story is, is that when you start even ascertaining a lot of this stuff and you've worked hard to get somewhere, all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you got gray hair and thank God I still have that uh, nice beard. And sometimes I got to take out that dye and make it a little darker because the, the gray means that, you know, it shows your vulnerability. What also came out in this episode is that we have to look at our vulnerabilities and be able to take a step back and do whatever we have to do to try to improve them, whether it's making a mistake or uh, as we get older in life, that we maintain the best health that we can so that we can continue to learn and achieve and hopefully do what's really our number one goal is really to show that we've learned enough to where we can help other people and others in your family take over and be able to take the next generation forward. It's not all about us. It's about keeping a continuum. And as you know, uh, this show stands for legacy. And your guest also thinks that legacy is important as well. Helping others is still probably the most beneficial achievement that one can have with their life is how many people do you affect in a positive way is really quite meaningful, in my opinion. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.